0: Well, this morning, we are going to talk about Romans, the fourth chapter. Romans, the fourth chapter. Uh, It is a a marvelous chapter. It is so much in there that I didn't even make that many notes. There were too many things in my head. (laughs) I have to write a book, it seems like. And and so I just um, made a few notes and of the things that I wanted to sort of introduce the chapter with. And then we're just going to go through the chapter together. Uh, The title of the sermon is Abraham Believed God. What an identification to be known as someone who believes God. Do you want to be known as someone who believes God. I want to be done like that, not only to you, but to him in particular. Yes. And so, as we're looking at chapter 4 today, there is a lot of things to say about faith. There is no possible way. We're going to cover everything. There there is just no way. But I want to give a few uh, uh, nuggets, you might say, uh, so that we can understand not only the chapter, and we can understand a little bit more about, about grace, and so on and so forth. We know that in the New Testament, there are basically two systems that are always addressed. is the system of law and the system of grace. These are two systems. And it is important for you to know what system you're in when you're reading. Yes? So some of the words that you will read when you're in the system of law, are some of the words I'm going to give you here work or works, defeat, condemnation, darkness, death, do whatever it is do you, flesh, works of the flesh, lost, wrath, these type of words. These are not the most pleasant words, but they are associated with the law and being legalistic, and so on and so forth. Then when you are in the system of grace, these are some of the words that you'll come across. Faith, believe, trust, reconciliation, victory, life, love, light, grace, forgiveness, spirit, fruit of the spirit, saved, and the like. There's many more words. I don't want to bore you, but these are some of the words that you come across. As we are reading in Romans, the fourth chapter, you will see that Paul moves from one system to the other system and then back to the other system with the emphasis on the system of grace. You, You can just imagine that if the title is Abraham believed God, The word belief is one of the big words in the system of grace. So certainly the emphasis will be on on grace, the system of grace. So uh, one of the reasons why I want to talk about faith some is I think that many, many Christians misunderstand the idea of faith. Many, many Christians. I know that because I talk to them. Many times as Christians we think, that if we have faith, we can ask God anything, and He'll do it. That's not true. The Bible says so, but it doesn't mean it like that. It means that when we ask things according to God's will, then He will do it. Okay? So, uh, God is loving us enough that He is not going to give us all the things that we ask for, no matter how, faith, how much faith we have. So, in faith, often we give God our wish list. But God is not so interested in your wish list unless it corresponds with His wish list. He is more interested in you having His wish list. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. That is on His wish list for you. Husbands, so therefore, when by faith you're asking God, God, give me more love for my wife. He is obligated because he has obligated himself that he would answer that prayer. That if you ask according to his will, that he will do it. So, but these are some of the things that we, and so as we know God's word better, We are also understanding and we are more knowledgeable of what is on his wish list. Yes? As we know God's word better, we understand what is on his wish list more so than if we don't know uh, his word. If I know my father better, then I won't ask him certain things. My friends all had motorcycles. Not all. A lot of friends had motorcycles. I rode behind, and I rode in the front, and I, I did my thing on the motorcycle. And I asked my dad if he would give me a motorcycle. I'm and when he stopped laughing, <laughs> he didn't laugh, but he just told me in all seriousness, no, I love my son too much. He was not going to give me a motorcycle. And then ultimately, I lost a couple of friends in but, uh, motor, uh, uh, motorcycle accidents. And uh, one of my favorite cousins, who was the namesake of my father, Max. And so and so it is with, with our Heavenly Father, uh, in, in a way, that when we ask him things that are not good for us, no matter how much we think they are good for us, he's not going to give them to us. And so um, be sure that uh, when you want to... Ask God for things that are according to His will. Um, and so, we say we have faith, and, but we don't always display that we have a life of faith. Uh, often, we just talk about it more than we are walking in it. Um, but when it comes to what God wants to do, In our lives. Sometimes big things. Sometimes small things. That is to say. We consider them small things. God doesn't do anything small. Uh, Everything is small to him. Because it's easy. But it's always a big thing. Uh, When it is spiritual. And when it comes from God. It's always a big thing. And so. um, We need to know. That. That. The faith that we exercise. That is the faith that is toward God. It is not just faith. A lot of people talk about having a life of faith. Of faith in what? Or of faith in whom? That makes all the difference in the world. Because you see, for Him who is the Almighty... Nothing is too big for him. Nothing is too big for him. When I'm, which I was, over a million dollars in debt, and God says he's going to solve that problem for me, he's going to get me out of debt, for him, it is nothing. For me, it's a big thing. For him, he doesn't even have to wiggle his pinky. To get me out of that, And this is the one in whom I put my faith. Nothing is too big for him. The, the impossible is just as natural to him as... Or I should say is more natural to him than us breathing. The impossible. So this is a big God. And we don't have to worry... That he, somehow or another, is not going to be able to take care of us. He is able to take care of us. So when he says to me, to cast all my care upon him, for he cared for me, I simply trust him and have faith that what he says is true, and I do it. Casting all my care upon him. He wants me to, all my care. If if I can collect them in my mind, all my cares, he doesn't want me just to put it over here. He wants me to throw it on him. Because he wants me to be rid of it. Hey, he wants to have it. And he says, and, 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 and in the King James it is exactly translated correctly, he says, to cast all your care upon him. It is not... All your cares, because suddenly you think, ah, well, this is most of them, and then you leave some behind. No, he wants your care as a package, and poof, get rid of it, put it on him. And then it goes, to, goes on to say in First Peter 5, 7, for he careth for you. This is the reason that you throw all your care upon him. Because he cares for you. Now, in the King James, it doesn't explain it all that well. He cares for you. It is a lot bigger than that. It is that our well-being is foremost on his mind. That our well-being is more important to him than it is even to us. So, he is a good one to have faith in. Yes, um, I'm looking at my notes here a little bit, the, the, the ones that I, this is just the introduction to the chapter. Uh, and we're not going to be too long. If I can't finish it up, I, I just simply won't finish it up. And we'll, we'll talk some more about it uh, next week. Uh, this is the this is the neat part, I believe. And that's why I'm sort of like a strange cookie. Um, because, you see, when I th- when I speak to my people, the people that God has given me oversight over, I don't have to have a finished sermon. Okay? We'll visit again next week. If I, if I go, which I will, I go to my home country. I hope to go in, 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 in October. We're trying to get some things to, to, together to go to my home country. Then when I preach somewhere, I have to have a finished sermon because I have only one chance to preach to those people. So I finish a sermon and that, uh, from beginning to end, and I, give them, I, I present that to them. But well, to my people... I don't have to follow a script of that all the, the smart people say that this is how you have to preach. I simply don't go that way. Amen. I'm sorry. So, so, if you go by all these theories that you have to go by, then there is the, the topical preaching. You take a topic, you search the scriptures uh, best you can, uh, And then you present on this topic, whichever it may be, forgiveness, grace, whatever. And then you have to be sure that you search enough scripture that you get a good balanced teaching to your people. Or else you tell them, you confess to them that you didn't get to it all. So this is just a a, a foretaste. This is just a bit of it. And the rest can come another time. Or you let them know what you didn't share with them because he has only so much time in a a sermon. Then there is uh, another kind of preaching where uh, you go sort of like verse by verse. And a lot of people, if you don't preach verse by verse, they simply, it's not acceptable. You're not preaching. I don't know where it comes from, but that is, that is a way of preaching. That is a way of preaching. It's not the only way of preaching. So, even when, you know, the last few weeks I've just gone from one topic to another topic to another topic, but before that we have gone through You know, the book of Colossians, we've gone through Philippians, verse by verse, by verse, by verse. And that is a good way of doing it. It is not the only way. And even when I go verse by verse, when I feel like that my people that God has given me oversight over, they need to understand something a little bit more, I pull it out and just focus on that, and then bring it back and put it back into the the rest of the the content of of the letter that that we're working at. So why did I say all that? I don't know. Um, so, let us, let us, let us look here a little bit, and, and, uh, to, to, to come to the place where Paul says, Abraham believed God. That is such a big statement to me, big enough that I decided that that should be the title of my sermon. So, When you're thinking about these things, maybe I think too much, I don't know. Then you wonder, well, is there a difference between someone believing in God or someone believing God? Do you think there is a difference? In my mind, there's a huge difference. There's plenty of people that believe in God. But if you check in people's lives, there's not that many people that believe God. By virtue of the fruit in their life. Because if they did, they would do what he's asking to do and their life would be more victorious. Does that make sense to you? Okay. So, when he says, Abraham believed God, that is a huge statement to me. Um when you believe God, it stands to reason that you would do what He's asking you to do. Is that a fair statement? Okay? This morning we were in Sydney school and, and Doyle was teaching and he, he, he reminded us of a hymn. Trust and obey. So trust is one one and obey. That's the other part of the coin, the other side of the coin. Or Hand in glove, sort of a fitting of trusting and obeying. Because if you're not trusting, you are not going to obey. Your obedience comes because you trust what has been spoken to you is true. And so you, you do it. Trust and obey. So do you remember, uh, and I want this part to be the, the slogan of my life. Uh At the first miracle of Jesus, the wedding party, and they ran in trouble, ran out of wine, and uh, Jesus' mother goes to Jesus for help, and uh, she says to the servants, whatever he says, do it. What did that mean to you? Or what does that mean to you in the context of this story, of this account? Obey. Trust. Give me another one. Something is going to happen. And if you don't do what he's telling you to do, you'll miss it. You'll miss it. Would you not have wanted to be there when that water was turned into wine? <laughs> and by the way, this is just a side note. just just for your information. It was wine. It was no juice. It was wine. As Christians, sometimes we... Water down this, this truth. Uh, when Paul says, "Do not be drunk with wine, you don't get drunk on juice, folks. OK? That is alcoholic. So there's no reason to believe that the wine at the wedding was just juice. We are not prohibited. I am prohibited. Because God spoke to me personally, directly, that I cannot drink wine. I cannot drink alcohol. I cannot drink uh, coffee or carbonated drinks either. So that is just a word to me. I don't know what the word is to you. Uh, So, uh, but the the, the word in the scripture is not about that you cannot have any alcohol. And I'm not promoting alcohol by any stretch. Hey, I lost my business because we were not going to serve alcohol. So that put me in debt over a million dollars and, and then the headache for 20 years of being in financial bind and so on and so forth. Hey, I, and I knew that that, was, that something was going to happen because we had taken popcorn away from the members before, and it was a, it was, it was a, a lot of trouble, let alone when you take away uh, uh, alcohol. So I, I knew very well that there was going to be uh, trouble, and there was an exodus, and ultimately we lost the club and so on and so forth. But... God had spoken clearly. Don't serve alcohol. So, whatever he saith, the King James says, do it. The result was not that pleasant initially. No chastisement for the moment seems pleasant, but grievous. But in the end, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. So if you're looking short term, you're looking too short. Stay with God a little bit. Stay with Him a little bit. And He'll work the things out in you, not only on the outside, but especially on the inside. And He'll give you a fortitude, a capacity spiritually. That otherwise you'd miss, you'd miss the the miracle of Jesus turning water into wine, if the servants didn't do what Jesus said for them to do. Okay, <laughs> I, I may, I'd be happy if I get through my introduction today, maybe. <laughs> um, so one of the things that we commented on this morning at Sunday school was the idea that when god tells you to do something if we don't have on our spiritual eyes and our spiritual ears we often tend to balk at we often tend to balk at what god is telling us or where god is taking us I see some of you like this, so I think I, let me give you. But you know, this is what God delights in. Is that when he tells us something difficult to do. Knowing that it is going to be difficult for us. And we do it, not hesitatingly. But we do it joyfully and with a reckless abandon. And my dear brothers and sisters, if we truly trust and believe Him who is the Almighty, if we just believe in Him who is not so Almighty, He does a few things here and there, and otherwise He doesn't care that much about us, whatever, then that is the wrong one to believe in. But if you believe in the Almighty, okay, then that's what you do. Because he loves you more than anybody can love you, he has more wisdom than anybody else he he knows the future, he knows everything, and he 's on your side and you can do your way if you want to and see how it's working out for you, but God wants more, he wants an interior capacity of of, of spirit that 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 he wants to take his children in, in, in that place okay so Um, I should give you a quote of of, of Oswald Chambers. Faith is not intellectual understanding. Faith is deliberate commitment to a person where I see no way. A commitment to do what he asks of me. That is my, my side note over there. A commitment to do what he asks of me. So, while we're reading through this, and we may have just, oh no, we have a little bit of time. Um, while we're reading through, through the fourth chapter, let me encourage you to look for these words, because these are the words that occur often. In, scriptures, in studying Scripture and interpreting Scripture, you know some of the rules of interpretation of Scripture, that if you read 20 verses, there's 25 in this chapter, if you read 25 verses and it talks about something one time, That is not the main emphasis of that passage. Right? It makes sense. If it uses a word 10 or 15 times, then that is the main thrust of the passage. Well, it uses some of these words that I'm going to share with you a lot of times. Sometimes by a synonym, not the same, very same word. So I'm going to give you some of the synonyms as well, and then we'll, we'll read through the chapter and then see where it takes us. These are some of the words, counted or reckoned, which also means imputed or put on one's account. This is the same word. Counted, reckoned. Abraham's belief was counted unto him for righteousness. Counted. Or another translation might say it was reckoned unto him for righteousness. So, The same word, counted, reckoned, imputed, put on one's account. That occurs 11 times in in 25 verses. I think he wants us to know a few things about imputation. The words justification and righteousness appear several times. The word believe and the word faith appear many times. The word work, just a little bit because he's making a contrast. And when you read the word work, Paul now switched to the law System for for a little bit there. Then the word grace uh, occurs a few times. Uh, Though the whole passage has the smell and the feel of grace. Blessed or blessedness. It's a word makarios that uh, uh, Brother John uses with me often. Uh, He gives me a hug and he says makarios. Uh, That means uh, spiritually prosperous as he's blessing me. It is the word blessed or blessedness. We'll read the word circumcision or uncircumcision. We'll read the word the promise of God. And then let us read 25 verses and then talk a little bit about some of them. Verse 1. Every commandment. Oh, wait a minute. That was last week. I gotta go to the front here. <laughs> Every commandment. Oh, that's not the one. Uh, Romans 4. What shall we say then that Abraham our father is, uh, uh, as pertaining to the flesh, had found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he had whereof to glory. He had something to glory about, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God. And it was counted unto him for righteousness. See see these words occurring. eh? Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Here you have an identification of God. Him that justified the ungodly. This is what God is about. This is what God does. He justifies the ungodly. That is us. Hallelujah. Thank you. Um, His faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputed righteousness without works saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Come at this blessedness then upon the circumcision only or upon the uncircumcision also. For we say that faith was reckoned unto Abraham for righteousness. That faith was reckoned unto Abraham for righteousness. How was it then, reckoned, when he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? He answers his own question in 4.10, not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had, yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. Paul, he always talks with a a lot of words that sometimes are difficult to follow, unless you break it down. And the father of circumcision to them, who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet, Uncircumcised. He's Paul is making that point because he's driving a point home to his listeners and readers and the people that are discussing with him. Hey, is this only for the Jews or is it also for the non-Jews? Is it only for those who are circumcised or also for those who are not circumcised? And he's answering that question somewhat, and he is uh, uh, leaving it up to us to, to understand what he's saying, knowing the Word of God, for the promise that he should be the heir of the world, was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Remember the law, that word the law has difficulty, has defeat, has death into it. So it was not going to come through the law, but it was going to come through faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void. And a promise made of none effect. Because the law worketh wrath, you have that word, law and wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore, if it is of faith, therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law. Now he's using the word law a little bit different, he's uh, addressing a group of people, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, before, whom, before him whom he believed, even God, who quickened the dead, or he made alive the dead, and called those things which be not as though they were. Who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. This is an important thing to to see over there because we talked about it in the introduction. That he believed in, in hope against hope, because he had heard from God what God had to say about the matter. And he stood on that. And even though it didn't look like he could, yet he believed in it, and his faith was not even wavering. <clears throat> Let me go on. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. We need a little, a, a little uh, uh, explanation over there, because <clears throat> it was not like he was not considering it. He was fully aware of it. He was almost 100 years old and he was aware of the deadness of him biologically, and he was aware of the deadness of Sarah biologically, or pro, how you call it, procreationally, uh, but he was, he was not considering that that was a consideration. <laughs> it was, was no big deal for God that he was close to 100 years old and therefore couldn't have any more uh, ch- children. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, But was strong in faith. Giving glory to God. And meaning fully persuaded. Paul is making the point. He is not weak in faith. He he, he staggered not. He is fully persuaded. That he had promised. He was also able to perform. And therefore it was imputed to him. For righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone. That it was imputed to him. But for us. Also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Yeah, we're not, we'll take it step by step. So, what shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, had found? What, what is it that if we are looking at, uh, at the human effort, what is it that Abraham found? What did he discover? Well, he discovered that if you could do it by human effort, then you have something to brag about, to glory in. But before God, nobody, nobody gets to glory into anything except in Him and God. So he found that that thing about your human effort is not working because before God I have nothing to glory. That's just part of the picture. Some of it is not written in here because we know the word of God and, and, and some of it is already assumed. For if Abraham was justified by works, he had whereof to glory. Something to brag about, but not before God. Verse 3. For what say the script scripture? Abraham believed God. And was counted unto him for righteousness. And we know from Romans three twenty three also that the, the righteousness of God is unto them and upon them all them that believe in Christ Jesus. The righteousness of God. Uh, I've over the over time I've always wondered: Well, is the righteousness of God for Jesus is that different than the righteousness of God for us? No, there is only one righteousness of God. And it is unto Jesus the same as it is unto us. Now, how we walk in it, that is a different story. But we have in possession, we are in the standing of the righteousness of God. Because if you believe, then that is yours. Uh, What say the scriptures then? Abraham believed God. And it was counted unto him for righteousness. The, The word... It, for it was counted unto him for righteousness. You see this italicized, so it was not in the original language. uh, But it has a a meaning. Uh, Because when we're talking about faith, the emphasis is not so much about the faith as that the emphasis is on the one whom you have faith in. Are you with me? When I'm drowning and Joe jumps after me and reaches for me and I reach my hand and he grabs my hand and he pulls me out, my hand is like faith. It made it possible because I reached for him, but he is the one that saved me. Are you with me? Okay. So the emphasis is not so much on the faith. That it is on the one in whom you have the faith. I have faith in this chair. It's going to hold me up. I didn't even hesitate. I have faith in it. It can't save me. It can't give me salvation. Not much, how much faith, regardless of how much faith I have in it. But there's a a certain amount of trust that I have in the chair. But the chair is not God. Okay. All right. So, um, now, to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. That, that this is the, the, whole, the whole contradiction between the two systems. Is that um, if, we, if we are going to work for it, then we get... Our due. If we believe for it, we get a grace gift. Okay? I'm working for David, and we have an agreement of work and pay. Yes? So I'm working for David for how much did I work for you? Three weeks, huh? No, 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 no. This is a, we for a payment arrangement. <laughs> Uh, I work for him for three weeks, and after three weeks, I get a check from him. Yes? This is no surprise, because this is the arrangement that we have. I work, he pays. I am thankful, but I don't even have to be thankful. He owes me the money. Right? I work for it. So, when it comes to God, he says, You cannot work for it. There is no way you can get it because otherwise you get what you do and what you do, you don't want. So he says, come to me, believing what I have for you, believing what I have done for you, and I'll give it to you. It's a grace gift. It is not a debt that was owed you that you get. It was something that you couldn't even work for, no matter how hard you work for it. But God gave it to you because of His grace. It was a gift. A gift. Thank you, Jesus. So, but, I see that often Christians, they refer back or uh, revert back to, to the work thing often i'm not talking about just obedience i'm talking about trying to work for things of god whereas it started by faith all of a sudden they go back to the whole works idea instead of counting on the grace of god they're now counting on that god will pay them what what they, they do you don't want to go that route it leads to tremendous defeat, even though you're a child of God. It leads to tremendous defeat. Um, For to him that worketh not, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justified the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So here you have an identification of God as He who justified the ungodly. My dear brothers and sisters, this is what God wants to do in your life. If you have never received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is what He does. He justifies the ungodly. He wants so badly to justify you if you would just come to Him, believing that what He's done for you is true. That He died for you on the cross so your sins might be forgiven and that He was risen from the dead so that you might have eternal life. Thank you, Father. So I'm wondering if there's anyone this morning over here Who has never been justified. Who has never given their life to Jesus Christ. Because our father in heaven. He wants to justify you. And he's waiting for you to believe in him. He's waiting for you to make a move. He has done his move. He has done his move. in that his son came all the way from heaven to earth. To live among sinners. To die for sinners on an ungodly uh, death. And paid for sinners with an ungodly death. So that the ungodly, us, might be justified. If you have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you this morning to come to the one who justifies the ungodly. And he will save you. Just believe. I think I'm going to stop over here. Um, let me just quickly look over here. Well, i make another point real quick. So the, the next portion has to do with, well... Is this justification, is this that, well, Abraham's faith was reckoned unto him for righteousness, is that only for those who are circumcised, or is it also for those who are not circumcised? Because there was an, a question of opposition in those days, because the Judaizers, they always want to add part of the law to the salvation message. That you had to have Jesus, and you had to keep uh, 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 the law. And it is nothing about the law; it is all about Jesus Christ, because He had kept the law perfectly, so that you, though you could not keep the law perfectly, that you would be able to ride His coattail into heaven, if you will. Um, hallelujah! And so, the question is: Well, well, let's check out Abraham. Was Abraham, when God reckoned his faith unto righteousness, was Abraham himself already circumcised or not? He was not. He was not circumcised. The circumcision was actually 14 years later. Because the circumcision is not what saves him. The circumcision is just the seal or the sign of the one that had a covenant with God, Abraham. Are you with me? So, so often we we think that baptism saves us. No, baptism is just the sign, the outward sign that we are saved, that we are identifying ourselves with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hey, This is what saves you. He is who saves you. The one in whom you have faith. So, or other people think that uh, maybe the Lord's Supper will save somebody. No, the Lord's Supper is just signifying that you are believing that, uh, that God has made covenant with you. And you are remembering, remember the words that Jesus says at at the Lord's Supper, remember that you are remembering what Jesus has done for you. You were saved already way before. And now you are remembering what God has done for you. So, uh, so then the answer to uh, Paul's question there is, no, it's not just for the circumcision. It is also for the uncircumcision. Because circumcision or uncircumcision, you get saved by faith in Jesus Christ.